could I teach you in three weeks? And I thought about a little book in the New Testament that has three chapters, and it is the book of Titus. And so we're going to try and work our way a little bit through the book of Titus in these three weeks. This morning, I'd like to read the very first section, verse 1 of Titus 1 through to verse 9, which says, Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior." To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not uh, pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been uh, entrusted or as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So we're trusting that the Lord will help us appreciate and understand some of the things that were put here long ago for our learning. Adele grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts, and, uh, and she did what uh, most of us will do one day. She simply died. She died with a heart attack, died in her kitchen, reaching for the phone, and she died so quickly she didn't get her hand on the phone. And um, that would seem like a very simple, normal story, except that four years later, CNN made a big to-do about the whole thing. When you get uh, your death broadcast on CNN, there must be something noteworthy about that. So what was it? Well, it was this. When she died, nobody knew she died. So she lived alone. She had no family that cared about her at all. And so uh, her death went absolutely unnoticed for four years. How could that happen? Well, she had a brother, and as uh, mail piled up on her front porch and so on, uh, some of the neighbors contacted her brother, who just hadn't been in touch with her for years. And so the brother drove by the house and decided that she had done what she had talked about. She had probably moved to a nursing home and uh, left the house abandoned. So he never even checked in. 
after the mail piled up for a while, well, uh, uh, finally the post office cut it off. After uh, the utility bills went uh, unpaid, well, a utility worker came and turned off the water and hydro and so on, and that was that. Because it looked like kind of an abandoned house, uh, the neighbors cut the grass once in a while, but uh, eventually the police checked in. They took a cursory glance around the house and uh, just assumed it was an abandoned place, so that was that. It was four years later that the police thought, this house has just been abandoned for a long time, and uh, we really should look through it more carefully and see what needs to be done with it. And so when they went through, they found Adele's body laying there in the kitchen four years after she died. That made it newsworthy. We could probably say all kinds of interesting things about that. How could that possibly happen? But the point is this. She had lived in such a way that nobody noticed when she died, and nobody cared. And I would simply say to all of us this morning, I am certain that none of us want to die that way. We would like somebody to notice. We would like somebody to care. We would like to live life in a way that matters. And I think that's what the book of Titus leads us to think about. Living life with a purpose. So at the beginning of this book, Paul says this kind of interesting thing that he had left uh, Titus in the island of Crete in order that he would do certain things. He left him with a purpose. He left him with instructions. He left him so that he had a reason to live. And I would like to think that as we go off from this morning, as we begin next week, Uh, we will really think about what is our purpose. Let me back up for a second and just say that this letter is written by the great apostle Paul. And he has traveled all across Turkey, uh, as it is known today. He had gone to the island of Crete. He had gone to a number of places, and he had preached God's word. And uh, he introduces himself at the beginning of this book with a very interesting uh, kind of compilation of words that he doesn't use in any other letter. So he identifies himself as an apostle. An apostle, that was a pretty aggressive person with lots of responsibility. He was a leader. He was the man who was out there making it happen. And at the same time, he calls himself a servant. And that is not an oxymoron. Rather, we often talk today about servant leadership, and uh, this is the primary example of that in the New Testament. He is both a servant and a leader. They do go together. They can go together. They ought to go together. So that's who Paul is. But more than that, he explains to us that his primary thing is, I have been entrusted with God's Word. So my purpose in life as I travel across the country, the then known world, my responsibility is to teach God's Word. 
And we're going to discover later, talk about this more next week and the week after, that the Word of God is the basis for two things. Paul knew that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So people everywhere needed to hear God's Word. Otherwise, they have no basis for faith. That was essential. But also, he teaches them that it is the Word of God that enables us to live properly. And we're going to explore that more. That becomes the foundation for how we live. So we can try and live good. We can try and live right. But we have to know what good is. We have to know what right is. And that is found in God's Word. So Paul is the one who uh, clearly has a purpose, and he has gone with the gospel. And Titus has become one of his sons in the faith, just like Timothy did as well. And so now he cares very much about this young man, and uh, he is sending some special instructions to him. I think that uh, uh, there's a lot more we could say about the introduction of this, but let me move on to this point and, uh, and illustrate something. We're going to listen in now on what Paul is saying to Titus. He's not particularly saying it to us. He's not saying it to the church at large. In a very particular way, he is giving instructions to Titus. Now, when I grew up as a, as a kid, uh, we lived in a home that had two stories. Probably most of you did. Uh, the interesting thing about upstairs in those days where the bedrooms were was that there was no heating ducts went up there. There was no heat upstairs. Except that in our bedroom, we had a register cut in the floor so that hopefully a little bit of heat from the kitchen stove would come up through there to our bedroom. It was pretty hard to find most of the time, but uh, that was the idea of it. However, it served another purpose besides letting warm air come upstairs. The other purpose was it let us listen to what was going on downstairs. You know how that worked? So, mom and dad early in the morning would be at the kitchen table. And uh, we're supposed to be still asleep, except sometimes it was important to hear what dad was saying to mother because it often went like this. So make sure when Paul comes home from school today, he cuts the grass. Oh, dear. I have a heads up now. I know what is expected. Uh, the message has come through loud and clear, and I didn't wait. I didn't have to wait for mother to tell me. I kind of heard all about it ahead of time. We heard lots of wonderful, spooky things down through that register. But I remember getting those instructions in my head ahead of time and, and then fussing about, I wonder if I can uh, avoid mother so she doesn't get a chance to tell me today that I should cut the grass. You know how that kind of thing goes. Anyway, we were listening in sometimes. And as we listen in to Paul talking to Titus, one of the first things that grips us is that he says this kind of thing to Titus. I left you in Crete. 
so that you might straighten out and finish the things that I have started. Woo, that sounds fairly heavy. Got some straightening out to do, some finishing up to do. There's work to be done. When Titus read this off on the island of Crete, I think one of the things that would hit you hard being on an island is, I am left here alone with this responsibility. In the wintertime, there are no ships coming here. I can't just phone up Paul and say, I need some help, drop by, would you? Or uh, the church over there at Ephesus, would you mind sending some people over and uh, helping me out? There was none of that kind of thing. So he was left alone, and he has this responsibility to do. I think back in my life, and uh, this is maybe going to sound a little bit sharp when I say this this morning. But you know, I started out as a pretty little kid working on the farm. And um, when I checked in in the morning, I was told exactly what I was going to do that day. Today, we are going to bring in hay, and that means you are going to uh, pitch the hay onto the wagon, or you're going to be on the wagon and you're going to uh, build the load, we used to say. I knew what I was going to do. That was the job for the day. It was as clear as clear could be. When I was uh, 12 years old, I started delivering groceries for a little corner grocery store. And my job was really just that. The people used to come in the store, get their groceries, or phone in an order, and then ask for it to be delivered. So I would come in after school, and there's this whole row of boxes filled with groceries, all waiting for Paul to show up in order to deliver them to a house. So I could come in and see that there were holes in the shelves that needed to be filled. I could see that there were people that maybe needed help. I could see all kinds of things that needed to be done. But I just shut that all out because I knew what my job was. My job was to deliver those groceries. So get the first box and get going. On my bicycle, off down the street, deliver those groceries, hurry back, get the next box, and uh, just keep the process going. So as I look back over my life's experience in workplaces, I realized that it was pretty clear. When I uh, came into work on Monday morning, uh, I knew what the job was that needed to be done. I knew what my purpose for existence was. That was really clear. But then what hits me, and what may sound a little bit harsh this morning is, I have met through the years absolutely hundreds of people who attend church and do nothing else. They don't have a purpose. They don't come to church and say, I know what I'm supposed to do today. I know what my job, my responsibility is. 
So whatever else I do in the workplace all week, I know what my spiritual activities need to be. I know what God has called me to do. I know what my purpose for existence is. So many Christians live without having a clear concept of that. And I think that's sad. And so I think the book of Titus just kind of grabs us by the hands and pulls us towards, we better know what we're here for. Paul knew what he was there for. He was to teach God's word. And he wants Titus to know exactly what his responsibility is. And it's twofold. So you too need to preach and teach God's word. People need to hear it so they can believe, and then they need to be taught. They need to be discipled. They need to be instructed. And so you will have that ongoing responsibility with all of the Christians on the island of Crete. That's your job. And number two, you need to make sure that leadership is put in place in the church in Crete. You need to see that elders are appointed there. It sounds like Paul had started the process. He had shown him that there needed to be leadership, needed to uh, understand the mechanics of how the church is going to work, all of that kind of thing. Now you need to finish that process. You need to make sure it happens. And so now he gives instructions to Titus about who these people ought to be. And this becomes very important. One of the things he says is that they need to be people with really good character. And he's going to outline for us what that really entails. But the reason for that, he gives us, is this. Because these are the people who are going to be stewards house managers, they are the people who are entrusted with God's work. Entrusted with God's work. That's who the leadership people are. And therefore, you can't give that responsibility to just anybody. You need to give it to people who are really, really careful about their lifestyle. One of the kind of jolting things in the New Testament, and you can, you can uncover this in practically any of the writings of the New Testament, it kind of goes like this. Once you have become a Christian, you are transformed by the grace of God and through the Word of God, through the work of the Spirit of God. And so to put it simply, life is not the same anymore. There's going to be a distinct difference between your life now as a Christian and what it was before. He, uh, he speaks very bluntly to the Corinthians about this, telling them uh, what they used to be like. It was pretty bad. And as he describes what they used to be like, then he uses a series of buts. And he basically says, but you have been washed. You have been cleansed. You have been changed. You are not the same person anymore. 
And that really should be written over the heads of all of us who claim to be Christians. That is, God has done a work in our lives, and we are simply not the same people that we used to be. How good is that? Wonderful. We ought to uh, praise the Lord, but sometimes we feel a little bit negative about that. We're a little bit like the children of Israel after they left the land of Egypt. And, you know, after a while, they said, uh, are we ever missing those cucumbers and leeks and onions and garlic and all that good stuff we used to have back in Egypt? And uh, I think Christians are a little bit like that. So we leave some stuff behind. We say, no more of that. I'm a changed person. I don't want to live like that anymore. And then we begin to think, but there are really parts of that that we kind of miss, and we wouldn't mind kind of moving back in that direction. So we need God's Word to instruct us and keep us understanding what a transformed life looks like. So now, as we come to this section where Paul is teaching Titus about how to select leadership in the church, the qualifications that they have, I just pause to say, it is a way too easy for most of us to say, well, I'm not going to be an elder, so I don't need to read this passage. I can skip all of this. When in fact, these instructions are good for us all. If that's what was needed for an elder, Surely that's not a bad thing to aim at for ourselves and think about all of these qualifications. So I'm not going to take time to uh, go all through them this morning, but uh, I want you to see that, first of all, there are some general statements made. Uh, So here are people that are entrusted with God's work, and uh, they need to be blameless in their home, number one. And uh, this person needs to be faithful to his wife. And uh, the children need to be well-behaved. All of that to say that what we are in our home reflects so much on what we are going to be the rest of our lives. Our treatment, our life with our wife, our treatment and having the respect of our children All of that kind of thing is absolutely vital. Every Christian should care about how do I live in the home. Don't you get really sad when you hear people talk about that person is one thing on Sunday and he's something else in his home. You should hear the way he talks to his wife. You should see the way he abuses his children. All of that kind of thing. That's so sad. So, The whole idea here is no double life, no double standards. What you are one place is what you are in another place. God is calling them, just in a general sense, to a good life at home. And then he uses 11 adjectives to give us a description of uh, what should or should not be in the life of this person. So first of all, he talks about five vices that are to be avoided. So this person ought not to be overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. And I would say that most people would say, so, I'm good there. 
I don't do any of those things. I don't need to worry about me and that list of negative stuff. So that's great. Let's turn the page and look at the positive things that are in the passage. And so there are six virtues now that are laid out for us. And the first one is, this person needs to be hospitable. I'm going to grump and complain a little bit now. I have uh, traveled around a lot through the years and bumped into a lot of Christians here, there, and everywhere. And that's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. But uh, there are some that just simply lack social skills, and we uh, won't worry about that too much. Maybe their upbringing and all of that kind of thing. So I can excuse that. But uh, when people just don't know enough to uh, say good morning to you or uh, even greet you in any way, there's something terribly wrong with that. As Christians, shouldn't it kind of produce something decent in our personality that makes us want to connect with other Christians, wants us to be nice to each other. It's just hair-raising sometimes, the way uh, people don't function. So enough of that grumping on my part. But uh, uh, I think that sometimes we can do better in that area. Hospitable. Loves what is good. Now, there's a very generic station, uh, statement. Loves what is good. What in the world does that mean? Well, we're going to save that for next week and the week after because we will discover that that kind of statement is in the passages that follow quite a bit. Loving what is good is really an important thing. Then the next thing is self-controlled. And that's a very interesting term in the New Testament that that really could be translated like this, has his wits about him. He's not asleep at the switch. He knows what's going on. So he's under control. He's not high or low. He just understands where he is at. That's kind of an important thing for all of us to aspire to. And then it says... uh, upright and uh, holy and disciplined. Really interesting words that we could develop a lot, but I think that upright really has to do with duty towards people around. People will see us as respectable, honest, true. We do what we say. We keep our word. That's upright. Holy has to do with our relationship with God so that everybody can see not just that I'm a changed person, but that my life now has a bent towards God. It is set aside for God. My purpose in living is, first of all, Godward. That's what holy means. It's slanted in that direction. So we want that in all of our lives. And, uh, and then disciplined is an interesting term as well, which we discover at the end of Galatians 5 in the list of the fruits of the Spirit. And this is the last thing in the list. Discipline. Something that the Spirit of God generates in our lives. We can all try to discipline ourselves, 
but we never get to where we would like to be. Some of us, uh, you know, discipline ourselves to eat and lose weight and then never lose an ounce. You know how that goes. So uh, we, we struggle with different things in terms of discipline in our lives. But to have a spiritual discipline, to have a discipline that kind of marks us as we have a control, a working in our lives, the Spirit of God is at work, and He is bringing about things in our lives that weren't naturally there. Maybe we were quick-tempered. Maybe we were very fast to speak. And now people see a difference. That's been brought under control. God's Spirit has been at work. So those are the things that not just qualify elders, but ought to resonate in all of our lives. The last of the chapter, without taking any time to develop this, tells us that leadership now is going to be a tough job. It is not easy to be a leader in the church. So here's what it kind of tells us about at the end, that there's a whole lot of problem people that come to church. People usually begin to come to church because they are broken. They begin to understand that they need a savior. They begin to understand they have the problem of sin in their lives. And so they come to church. And what do they discover? Well, that's why all the other people came to church too. So we're all broken. We're all a bit of a mess in our past. And we're so thankful for the grace of God that brought about some kind of change in our lives. But some people's change isn't very evident. And so here's what it talks about. It says that there are false teachers still. There are people teaching myths. There are people with corrupt minds and consciences. There are people that claim to know God, of course, and they really don't know him at all. And then, listen to these words, detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. That's kind of tough going, isn't it? There are all those kinds of people that somehow get assembled in a church group. So if you're going to be a leader to lead these kind of people, well, you'll discover that sometimes it's like herding cats or uh, herding turtles or something like that. But it's tough going, getting people all kind of unified and going the same direction and talking the same talk, thinking the same thoughts, casting a vision that everybody can buy into. It's just plain tough going. So if I said nothing else this morning, I would say, so whatever you do, pray for the leadership at Auburn. It's always a tough job. But I want to leave you with this simple thought. That is, Paul had a clear purpose, and he lived it day after day. He gave Titus a clear purpose, and he lived it, and did the best he could, I'm sure, to straighten out and finish the work that had been given to him. He gives to the leadership a clear purpose. What is their purpose? Their purpose is now to teach the rest of the body of Christ. They're to honor God's word, teach it faithfully, make sure that people understand. They are discipled, they're growing, they're instructed in the faith. And they're dealing with the people who don't get it and trying to uh, deal with all of that kind of thing.
And so my question then is, if they all had a purpose, shouldn't we have one too? And what is it? You may know very clearly what your purpose is when you go home for lunch today. It's make lunch. That's not too complicated. You know what you've got to do. Or you may know exactly what you have to do when you hit the office tomorrow, precisely. Or some of the retired people still know, tomorrow I've got to cut the grass, or I've got to still plant some flowers or something. You have a reason to get up in the morning, and you know what you're going to do about all of those things. But do you know what your purpose under God is? So if we said, so God has placed you in Peterborough, for what reason? God has you at Auburn, for what purpose? That's what we need to take home with us, try and answer today. Let me pray. Father, will you press this upon our hearts? Will you help us to understand how you have entrusted us with your word. You've made us all responsible for the truths that we have learned. And we pray that we will go from this place today with joy in our hearts because we do have a sense of purpose. We do know why you have left us here, what it is that you want us to do. We pray this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.